to the Uproom Frisco podcast. To learn more about your Frisco, please visit uproomfrisco.com. Lord, I just want to pray for this word that you would, uh, you would touch our hearts. Um, Lord, I believe that you are uh, awakening a cry for your return, awakening a cry, Lord Jesus, for uh, what's on the horizon, that your zeal would touch us. Um, that you would, you would move upon uh, our hearts. We love you. Amen and amen. Amen. Well, um, we have been in a, in a, in a flow uh, as a community, specifically in, in Dallas, where I've been around a word. And I, I just want to put that word before you. Uh, it's in the Bible, but it, it, it is a word I'm trying to, to put my arms around. I, I don't even feel like I've begun to to, to grasp uh, the significance of it. Um, and it's in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22. So if you have your Bibles, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 22 is where we'll start. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the strangest, it's the strangest verse because Paul, who is writing a letter in Greek, inserts a word that's Aramaic. And uh, no, no one reading the letter would have known what this word uh, meant unless, unless they were in the know, unless there was some former orientation to the word. Because it would be like me writing a letter to you in English, and then I throw in a, a Farsi word. You know, it, it, was that, it was that big of a jump to use an Aramaic word in a all Greek letter, but in, in several of Paul's letter, he, he ends by grabbing the pen, someone scribing what he's saying, and then a trademark in, in, in multiple letters as he's like, I am now writing this with my own hand. And this is one of those parts in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 21, he says, listen, I am now writing this with my own hand. I, Paul, am writing to you. And he's addressing persecution. And in, yeah, there it is. Look at that. The greeting is in my own hand. And then he said, if, if anyone does not love the Lord, he's to be accursed. And he's speaking to persecution that they're specifically going through. And then he throws this Aramaic word. It's Maranatha. Maranatha. And then his next, the salutation is basically the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Um, signed Paul, right? So a lot of people look at, verse 22, and they're like, why in the world would he insert this Aramaic word into a Greek letter? It, it doesn't make sense. And then, and then what is the meaning of the word Maranatha? Because whatever it is, it would be important in the context of him ending this letter by throwing it in. And, uh, and so we, through our, we had a 40-day fast last year, and the Lord just started speaking to us about his second coming. Uh, the, the spirit and the bride say, come, Jesus came once, but he's coming back. Amen. And, uh, and, and there's a zeal that I believe the Lord has to awaken us in understanding in partnership with what's ahead. And I believe this word Maranatha fits into that narrative. And so what does Maranatha mean? It's a good question. Um, it depends on how it was actually written. And you can, you can study this out, but it could mean one of three things. And I actually think it can mean all three, but 
most people would traditionally interpret Maranatha as come Lord Jesus. You ever heard Maranatha? Has anyone heard the word? So it would be come Lord Jesus, which is, you know, come in the future, Lord Jesus. But depending on how the last phrase in the Aramaic is positioned, it could mean this. It could mean past tense. It could mean the Lord came. Slightly change, it could mean the Lord is coming. Slightly change, it could mean Lord come. So Maranatha could have three tenses. He came, he's coming, so come. So which one is it? It's all three, right? Because <laughs> he has come, yes. He is coming, yes. So come, yes. Summed up in one word, Maranatha. Which is pretty profound. And, and they actually believe that this word was more of a, a, a um, like a watch word or a, uh, a secret word that the early church would have understood because they were being persecuted by both the, the, the Jews and the Romans. And so in him saying, anyone that does not love the Lord, let them be accursed. He's speaking to the persecution, but he's saying Maranatha, which is this understanding that I think the early church rallied around, which means he came, he's coming, so come. It was an anthem of hope for them. It was something that unified them. And I, I think the same can be said today, that it, it, it's simple enough that we can all go, yes, he came, he's coming, so come. But it's also profound in, in its, like, as you start to squeeze it and look at what he has accomplished, if you look at what he's going to do, and then you say, Lord, do it today. All of that is summed up in this one word, Maranatha. 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 They think in the early days, instead of saying shalom, which in the Jewish culture, they would have gone shalom, shalom, if you've been to Israel. In fact, Rabbi Jason was texting me this morning at 5 a.m., which I'm going to have a talk to him about texting me at 5 a.m. Rabbi Jason is a good friend of mine, but he was sending a word and he, his texts always begin with shalom, Michael. Why? Because he's a, he's a messianic rabbi. That's how they greet one another. Shalom. If you're in Israel, shalom. But they think that the early church adopted Maranatha instead of Shalom. So when they would have met one another, they would have been like, Maranatha, Maranatha. He came, he's coming, so come. I love it. It hits all three, what was, what is, and what is to come. And, and I, I've been, I've been uh, working with millennials, a lot of millennials. I call our community back in Dallas Millennialville. We have millennials everywhere. And there is such a zeal uh, for the Lord, such hunger. Uh, but I've been deeply convicted about just the fundamentals of our faith, the ABCs of what makes the Christian faith the Christian faith. And I want to, I wanna, in, in light of the theme Maranatha, I, I want to present to you, I think, one of the most foundational revelations for us. And it's, it's the framework that the gospel sets in. It's the framework for Maranatha, for what he's done, for what he's going to do, for what he's doing. And if you don't understand this framework, you, you can get into some wonky places. And these things, there's a lot of wonky narratives 
that are vying for our affections, attention. It can be political. It can be uh, uh, political. It can be political. <laughs> it can be political. You know, I mean, it's like so easy. And then, and then you, 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 you know, slithered in with a prophecy and, and then it becomes political and spiritual. And then it's just, we've got to be discerning in our hour. Like the, the warning for the days ahead is don't be deceived. Like it's deception, deception in my, my, like I, I, I'm, I'm overwhelmed with the reality that I'm going to stand before the Lord one day as one who equipped and taught millennials in a generation that has such a distorted understanding of truth. Not saying that all millennials do, but our culture right now, there is this distortion that's happening. Woke culture is real. And I, that's a different sermon, but I, I, I do like, I am concerned about the slippery slope. And so I just want to get back to the meat and potatoes, to the, the, the things that, that we as believers can be certain of. And I, that's what I love about the Maranatha cry is it's such a unifying word. Like I can explain what I just explained, Maranatha, what was, what is, what is to come. And hopefully most believers, the majority of believers go, yeah, I can buy into that. And in a divided world, we've got to figure out what, <laughs> what we're unified around. And so I want to give you what I would say, meat and potatoes, foundation for Upper Room Frisco, Upper Room Dallas, the Upper Room family, and also uh, what's ahead. Like it is so foundational for us to get this footing so that we're not shaken for what's ahead. So here's, here's where I want to start. I want to start with a word. And this one word is so vital for you to understand scriptures as a whole. So the backbone of scriptures is, is, is centered upon this one word. If you don't understand this one word, you can't understand what the, the flesh of this hangs upon. And that word is covenant. Everyone say the word covenant. Covenant. So I, I want to make sure that we're all on the same page. So I'm going to give you a definition for covenant. Here's what covenant is. Covenant is an unchangeable divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the condition of their relationship. So it's an agreement that stipulates how one party relates to another. And I, I want to talk about three covenants. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some definitions, but again, this is meat and potatoes, fundamentals for us. Uh, the first covenant that you're, you're, you're probably aware of uh, is, is, known as the covenant of works. Everyone say works. So um, when we think of covenant of works, we typically think of the law. We think of, you know, the 10 commandments, thou shall not. You want to be in relationship with me? Thou shall not what? Kill. Thou shall not what? Covet. Steal. You've got the big 10, right? Which turned into a lot more. But, but we think of that as the covenant of works, but the covenant of works was actually in the Adamic covenant. It was, it was from the beginning in the garden. It was a covenant of works. It wasn't a complicated covenant. It was pretty simple. God had one tree and Adam and Eve were to not what? Eat of it. That's it. It stipulated their relationship. I'm going to come and visit you in the coolness of the day. You're going to 
cultivate the land. I'm going to give you authority. You're made in my image. Like the plan was in place, but the covenant of works was don't eat from the tree. So that's what man was created in, was the covenant of works. Now, uh, the new covenant that believers in Christ are in is called the covenant of grace. Everyone say grace. And this covenant, um, I love this. Uh, the parties to this covenant of grace are God and the people he will redeem. But in this case, Christ fulfills the special role as a mediator in which he fulfills the condition of the covenant of works. So he fulfills those conditions for us and thereby reconciles us to God. So, so we put our faith in what Christ has done for us and we receive what we cannot earn. The covenant of works is you trust in your work. The covenant of grace is you trust in his. The covenant of works is you work to God. The covenant of grace is to trust his work in coming to you. It's just, these are, these, are, these are the only two ways you can relate to God this morning. The covenant of works, you throw every religion in there. You find your path up the mountain. <laughs> covenant of grace is you trust that he came down the mountain and took you up it. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just, it's like, oh, I was listening to Stephanie Gretzinger this morning. She had this one line. It's like, oh, I'm not even going to. It was really awesome, the line. <laughs> <laughs> to, to trust by faith what I could, by faith what I could not earn. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. I'll Anyways, it was this powerful thing. Okay, there's one other covenant though that I wanna talk about. And this is so important to understanding the covenant of, of grace. Both of these covenants fit into the covenant I'm gonna explain, but, but this next covenant has, has brought such deliverance to my heart um, in regards to, to the plan of redemption. Uh, Peter Lewis said something recently that, that it, it's still something I'm, I'm just grappling around and with its truth. But um, he said this, he said that the, the work of salvation is finished. Well, the way I would say it, the work, he, he actually said Jesus' work on the cross is finished, but he's not. But I would say the work of salvation is finished, but the plan of redemption is not. Let me say that again. The work of salvation, so what Christ has done, the work for you to be saved and reconciled and in relationship with God, that work is finished. But that work was unto redemption. What is redemption? Redemption is the repossessing, reclaiming of value, of purpose. It can mean to liberate. And so the work of salvation is unto redemption. It's unto our redemption. We are the redeemed, amen. Let the redeemed of the Lord but redemption is a redemption. There is, there is a plan of redemption that is in the heart of God and is the restoration of all. Everyone say all. It is the restoration of all that was lost. All that was lost. From a created standpoint, the created order, relational, emotional, spiritual, physical, 
There, God's plan, the totality of his plan and the work of the cross, the sufficiency of it is beyond our comprehension of what he's going to do because of what he's done. So Lord, do it. <laughs> so the covenant of redemption is what I, I want to I talk about. And, and, and it, it may bring, for me, I didn't understand scriptures around like before the foundations of the world. Do you ever hear that? Like, like Ephesians 1 verse 4, it says, you were chosen. You, put your name in. Stephanie, so glad you're here. You were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless. Okay, that sounds awesome. But what does it mean? Before the foundation of the world, he chose you? How did he choose you? When did he choose you? Like I thought Genesis 1-1 started with let there be light or in the beginning, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and then let there be light. But my point is, 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 is scriptures allude to a reality prior to God saying anything. And I want to talk about that reality because if we can lay hold of that reality, it not only shows us where it began, but it shows us where it's going. And that anchors you in hope in light of momentary afflictions, right? So the covenant of redemption is, it's an agreement that God made with God. So we talked about covenant, the two that we talked about is God's covenant with God to man, but there was a covenant before God established anything with man, and it was a covenant that God made with himself. This is profound. So this is an agreement that the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So God is a triune God. He's one and three. The Father agreed to give the Son a people. So the Son would have a people whom he would redeem. There's the word redemption for his possession. To send the Son to be their representative. This is that mediator we were talking about. To prepare a body for the Son. Hebrews 10.5 talks about a body I've prepared for you. The father prepared a body for the son to accept him as a representative of the people whom he had redeemed. It's amazing. The son agreed to become a man, to be our representative, to obey the demands of the covenant of works so he would fulfill the stipulations of the law on our behalf and then present himself as a beautiful, blameless, holy sacrifice. Behold the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He took on our chastisement. And then the Holy Spirit agreed to fill the son, empower him to carry out his ministry and to apply the benefits of Christ's redemptive work to believers. This was before anything existed. So I, 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 if you've heard me teach this at all, I've been teaching a little bit lately. Um, I'm going to get some students. Rafi, will you come here? Did Rafi do awesome today? I love you. Tommy, come here, Tommy. Is there another student in here? Ashley? Yes. And Ashley has like angelic voice. Okay, so uh, you're gonna be the Holy Spirit, obviously. (laughs) Uh, Rafi, you're gonna be the father because you definitely have the beard and you're the son. So father, okay. Father, son, Holy Spirit. Now, 
I was, I was, I was meditating on this a few years ago, and I was thinking about the conversation that would have happened between these three, these three before anything existed. They, they were in perfect fellowship, perfect harmony. They lacked nothing. And, and then they came up with this plan, this plan of redemption. And the image that I had was, uh, was like the March Madness, you know, the 64 teams. So my, uh, my roommate from college is a, is a collegiate basketball coach. He, y'all remember ACU, Abilene Christian beat the University of Texas this last year? So that was my college roommate was the, it was an epic deal. But <laughs> I'm going somewhere with this. Before the, before the game, um, they were in a, a huddle and Joe was in the middle of the team. But the team had... They had their arms around each other like this, and the team was swaying, you know, and Joe's like in the middle, like coaching them, like, here we go, here we go, here we go. But this, 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 like, this analogy is what I feel like was happening in the heavenlies before anything existed. The father was initiating. The son was agreeing to execute what the father was going to initiate and the spirit was going to apply what these two had already ordained. And I just, I just sense their zeal and excitement. And then all of a sudden from this, the father leans up and he says, let there be light. <laughs> he speaks forth the created order from the harmony and unity that they had. Knowing that that things could go wonky, but it wasn't based, it wasn't based on anything other than what these three had committed to do. It's why there's such certainty in our faith in God's plan for your life. It's because it was pre-thought of, it was predestined in the plan of redemption and the work of salvation which is beautiful news. And it's all based on covenant, not covenant that is based on something you do, but a covenant based on what God has done for you. Not good. And, and, and so what happens though is, is, and this is one of the things that you can't obviously do it today, but, but God, uh, God in his zeal and love for us and his confidence in his ability to fulfill what these guys agreed, there's these covenants throughout the Old Testament. There's, there's really five, I think, that are established throughout the Old Testament. You've got the Noahic covenant, which involves creation, which God destroys creation, but then he goes, okay, okay. I mean, you know, it, you're alive right after the flood. You're like, dude, could God do it again? No, because he made covenant with creation that he wouldn't destroy it. Then from there, he chooses Abraham. From there, Moses. Well, you got Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob turns to Israel. Israel ends up in captivity. And Moses, the deliverer, comes forth, brings Israel out into the wilderness. He then marries Israel. Covenant of the works. It's, 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 it's a beautiful covenant. It's God marrying his people who <laughs> go astray. But then 
the, the plan of redemption is fulfilled through Jesus becoming an embryo and a virgin who was born as a king, born as Lord and Savior, born to go on a cross to do what none of us could do. But all of these covenants have worked, I believe, in unison to point to the person of Christ. And what, what's, uh, I think it's really interesting, um, and I, I'm going to point to some scriptures. I know we've got just a couple minutes, but anytime God makes covenant, it's marked by uh, creativity. Or it's marked by a level of, um, there's an expression of it. Like God in covenant, he was so secure that he said, let there be light. He started creating from covenant. Uh, let's go to Noah. Noah, I won't flood the earth again. I'll make covenant with you. Therefore, I'm going to what? Make a rainbow. It's a creative expression of the covenant that he made. Um, you can look at Moses. Moses, he, he made covenant with Moses on a mountain. Then he comes down the mountain. And the first man to be mentioned to be filled with the Holy Spirit is a guy named Bezalel. Does anyone know what Bezalel was filled with the Holy Spirit to do? He was going to create. He created the tabernacle. He created all the, the, the furniture and furnishings for the holiest of holies. Um, I can look at the Davidic covenant and the tabernacle of David. You can even look at the covenant that you have with the Lord as, as when you get born again, you're called new what? New creations. There's an expression of the covenant. The, I'm going to use the flocks, but the millers, the ponds, all these families started in covenant. And then from covenant, what do we do? We pro covenant produces liberty, produces freedom. There's an expression for it. Does this make sense? And, and the covenant of redemption, there's expressions, and those expressions are expressions that, that manifest the coming order or coming revelation of what he's going to do. We get a foretaste of that today. Here, give it up for these guys. We all go sit. We love you. Um, I've got a list of scriptures real quick that I'm going to read through and then uh, make one last point. I look at 1 Peter 1, uh, 18. These will all be on your, your screen, I believe. Yeah. Knowing that you are not redeemed, there's our word, with perishable things like silver and gold and your futile way inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood. You were redeemed with the precious blood. And then it says, uh, a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ for he was foreknown before the foundation of the world. That's the covenant of redemption. But has appeared in these last times for your sake. Uh, Ephesians 1.4, which is what we talked about, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we be holy and without blame before him. Uh, Revelation 13, verse 8, says all the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain before the foundations of the world. First Tem- uh, Timothy 1.9, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, hallelujah, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. First Corinthians 2, 6 and 7, yet we do not speak wisdom among those who are mature wisdom, however, not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, 
who are passing away, but we speak of a wisdom and a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. John 17, 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given me where you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus is reflecting upon covenant that they had made. And it is all, it is all, uh, it is all centered upon uh, the son and the work of the son, which the covenant of redemption brings life to Colossians chapter one. If you're a new Christian, I would encourage you to get in Colossians chapter one, uh, 13 through 23. So this is a long scripture, but follow me in light of that holy huddle. Look at this. For Jesus rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us uh, into uh, his beloved son. The father rescued us, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's our word. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created both in the heavens and on earth, visible, visible thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him, all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead so that he will come to have first place in everything for it was the father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Jesus and through Jesus to reconcile all things to the father, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace to the blood of his cross. And although you were previously alienated, hostile in attitude, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his body of flesh through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless, that's Ephesians 1.4, and beyond reproach. If indeed you've continued in the faith and firmly established steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. It's the beautiful news of the plan of redemption. And uh, yeah, it is, it, is, it is thorough and it is sufficient. Um, There's one last scripture I want to point to. Uh, It's Romans chapter eight. Uh, The plan of redemption um, makes sense here in Romans 8, 18. And it it, it talks about uh, us having a foretaste of what is to come. Um, That creation itself is groaning in hope to be liberated So look at this, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us, the future. For the eagerly awaiting creation waits for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. There's a future redemption for earth that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This is why we proclaim the gospel. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only that, but we ourselves having the first fruits of the spirit, 
We've been given a first fruits, a pledge, a deposit of the spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons and daughters. Here's our word, the redemption of our bodies. There's a future redemption. He's talking about the glorification of believers. Do you know part of the plan of redemption is that you're going to be given a new suit? That when Jesus returns, we're going to be caught up in the air with him and we are going to be glorified in that moment and be given glorified and perishable suits? For in hope we've been saved, but hope that his, this is so important, verse 24. This is the Maranatha cry. For in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not see, through perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. What is hope? Hope is that there is a plan that we have been born into, a plan of redemption through the work of salvation that Christ has given us. But that plan is going to culminate with the earth being filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. What, what am I saying? Is that there's more? How, how much more can we have today? More than we have, but it awakens a longing for that coming day when the skies will split and Jesus will return. And as we start to understand the Maranatha cry theme and the plan of redemption, as we get understanding we get to partner with him. Whether it's events like Gen Z here in Frisco and proclaiming the gospel and seeing a generation redeemed under God's purposes, or it's prayer rooms like this where we're partnering with the Holy Spirit saying, Lord, come, Maranatha, you came once. There's promises that say you're coming again, so would you come now? It's this tension that we live in, the now and not yet. The Kingdom is at hand and the kingdom is coming. And it's all unto the redemption of all things. So we're going to take communion this morning, Jeremy, which leads us to the covenant, the new covenant, his blood and his body shed for us. So we wanted to end that way. You want to take that, bud? Yeah, come on up. <clears throat> I, part, part of one of the things that I've been sitting on, just talking about the plan of redemption, the coming kingdom, and you know, Jesus in, in Luke 22, Jesus told his disciples, he said, uh, I've eagerly desired to take this meal with you, but he says, I will not take it until I return. I won't eat of this meal until I return. So Jesus has been fasting this meal <laughs> for 2,000 plus years. And I think I always look at this meal and I look at what was in the midst of what is, but in the midst of what is, I look at what will be. It's that Maranatha cry even around the meal. One day we will take this meal with him. Wedding supper of the lamb. It'll be a party. I don't know of a better way to end the message. <laughs> I think it's, it's significant that we're taking communion today and that Michael is here because one of the most important elements of, of communion is that 
we're remembering the Lord. We're, we're remembering his body. And so it's not just figurative. It's, just, it's not just metaphorical. It is deeply real that when we take the body of the Lord, we are proclaiming that we are one in him and one together. Amen. And so we're like, we're proclaiming that we're one together. It's, it's almost as if as you're taking the bread, you're saying to the person next to you, your fights are my fights. Your battles are my battles. Your victories are my victories. I weep when you weep. I rejoice when you rejoice. I'm grateful that you're my brother. You're my sister. We are the united body of Christ. And then it's like the, the wine is, th- is like the power within the, the unified body. Mm. And um, it, I love taking communion together. The word literally just is two words combined. It is our common union. Christ is our common union. And we are in his body together. And so when we take the body, we're proclaiming that when we take the blood, we're inviting his power to do amazing things through our body. So on the night that the Lord Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread And after he gave thanks for it, he broke it and he said, every time you eat this, take and eat this in remembrance of me. Let's take his body and proclaim that we are in the body. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your body broken for us. We remember you. And in like manner, he took the cup and after he gave thanks, so this is my blood, which is poured out for the remission of sins. It's the blood of the new covenant. Drink this in remembrance of me. So, Jesus, we proclaim that you came. We proclaim that you're coming, and we proclaim that you are coming now in amazing things, in amazing ways in, in our midst. We rejoice in you, Jesus, that we have been grafted in. We rejoice in the plan of redemption. We rejoice in reconciliation. We rejoice in the work that you're doing in our midst. In, our midst. in Jesus' name, amen.